again, with the level one charger, even if you, you know, were out all day, 16 hours, and you came back at 10 p.m., plugged in and had to be out the door at 6 a.m. the next morning, you're still going to get 30, 40 or more miles of charge during that time. Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse Energy Economics and Climbable.org. Energy Nerd Show. Hey, Jeannie. Yeah, bro. Who's our guest on the Energy Nerd Show today? Today, we have Ross Bloom from Revit. Hi, Ross. Hey, Ross. Hi, everybody. How's it going? It's good. How are you? Great, great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You have an exciting product in the works. Yeah, uh, very early stage. Just founded this company earlier this year, and I'm building the first public-facing level one EV charger on the market. So it's essentially taking the type of electricity that you would use to, you know, plug into a wall outlet and converting that into something that can be put out into the world in sort of hard-to-reach areas like parking lots of apartment buildings and even street parking to help more people get access to EV charging. Yeah. So can you tell us about that? Like it does seem kind of impossible to, you know, find a charger on the street. So how are you trying to solve this problem? So a big part of the reason that, you know, it's really hard to find a charger is because they're really expensive to put in. And a big part of the reason for that is that the type of electricity that the current chargers on the market, whether those are level two or level three chargers, which sort of just correspond to the speed of charging that you can get from them, both of those categories of charging require either 220, 240, or upwards of 480 volt electricity. And that's just not the type of electricity that most um, certainly older properties have at their disposal. And so what happens is in order to put a charger in, you have to do a ton of additional upgrades to the electrical service in the area, which can include new panels, transformers on the utility poles, and those kinds of you know, projects, of course, are extremely expensive. So you see you know, the price tag of putting in a charger at a lot of properties you know, over $10,000 and upwards of $100,000 for the faster chargers. So in properties where, you know, there's just not the, you know, the financial ability to kind of lay out that kind of cash, it becomes really difficult to put in charging. So that's why we're focused on using 120 volt electricity, which corresponds with level one type of charging, which all the, you know, American sold EVs are compatible with. But essentially, it takes the project down to the scope of essentially putting in a new outlet outside, which, you know, is something that is a pretty standard and, and relatively inexpensive kind of project that people can do even in sort of tougher to service properties. So the benefits in terms of accessibility to charging sound enormous, right? That, that you know, if, if you don't have a driveway or a garage with a charger or, or Tesla supercharging for life like Jeannie has, then you need access to charging somewhere, you know, like where you park your car, right? So this seems to really address an important need. It's a huge unmet need in the market. There's, um, you know, different estimates out there. Upwards of 25% of Americans live in places where they're not able to put in a traditional home charger due to not having electricity at the place that they park or not, you know, being renters where they don't have the control. Even if they wanted to pay for that project, they're just not in a position to be able to do that because they don't own the property. This issue of multifamily as well as low-income people getting access to charging is a real barrier to people actually adopting EVs. Of course, you know, the cost of the vehicles has, you know, traditionally been more expensive than their 
you know, gas vehicle counterparts, but the prices of, of the vehicles are coming down and the, and the car makers are really focused on improving affordability for the cars. But, you know, again, it's figuring out how am I going to get charging access near where I live when over 80% of charging that happens in the United States happens at home. You really need to make sure that people have, if not a real home charger, that they have charging that's, you know, within a one or two minute walk from their doorstep so that they can, you know, really sort of get their minds around the idea of, of getting an EV. Yeah, yeah, I'm convinced that EVs are super expensive is really a myth, right? And can you roll, when you roll in the whole economics and, uh, you know, the, the lower cost of electricity compared to gasoline, the lower maintenance, if you put in the subsidies, I mean, then, then they're enormous. So the, all, the rolling cost per mile is lower. So, you know, there are some... Uh, uh, barriers like upfront costs or access to charging, but um, but let's 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 fix those, right? Yeah, the sort of subsidies, whether it's federal or state, it continues to be a moving target, both on the car side as well as the charging side. So the the hope with this charger, because it's just you know it's such a lower price point than any other sort of public or semi-private charger that's out there, it enables you know, people to sort of, you know, regardless of the situation with the subsidies and everything else, it sort of flies under the radar and is able to be adopted um, by sites that are, you know, really just banging their head against the wall to try to figure out how are they going to get charging access. Because even if, you know, th these projects are very complicated projects, you've got people digging up the ground, dealing with the utility to put in new service. So, you know, these are just, these are skills. These are not things that people are used to doing or buying, even if you want to, and you have the money to do it. I think there's a big sort of customer education piece of this. And, you know, that's going to have to be resolved for, you know, all the, the, the entire category. There's also a kind of shared public infrastructure part of it. Like, like things like putting in a bench on a sidewalk can be tricky, right? Because there, mm -hmm. there's the you know, democracy and all that thing you can take take time where there's a lot of issues. And I, and I think the idea of getting chargers out where the cars are is super worthwhile, but, pro you know, it's not just someone can just decide, oh, that's going to go there, right? Or, or how do you see that working? There's a lot of, I'm not going to say competing, but there's, you know, a lot of goals that, you know, cities are trying to achieve. On one hand, of course, I think a lot of cities are thinking about how to create EV charging access. But on the other hand, a lot of them are asking the question of, why do we even need everybody to have a private vehicle in the first place? You know, what can we do to encourage more micromobility like, you know, e-bikes, scooters, obviously public transit. And then there's also a number of other issues of traffic safety where people are trying to sort of limit or change the streetscape so that it's more friendly to pedestrians and safer. You know, I think people are just trying to figure out how to sort of get in front of all of that and create a real plan to change their cities into something that's a lot more livable and enjoyable. And of course, you know, reduce carbon along the way. Yeah, for sure. Who is your target audience and who do you envision would own these chargers? So the owners are likely going to be the, the property owners of either multifamily apartment buildings, condo associations, HOAs, and then on the sort of workplace side, there's a really big market where, you know, workplaces right now trying to encourage people to come to the office, looking for new amenities, and obviously the owners of commercial real estate right now struggling to fill vacancies in those buildings. So having EV charging that's really well aligned to the workday use case where with a level one charger, you're going to get, you know, about 30 to 40 miles 
of charge on an eight-hour workday that really aligns well with sort of supporting people and giving them sort of a free commute kind of uh, perk of, of coming into the office. So, you know, I think it's really the owners of this real estate that are going to have to step up and make these decisions and, and put this in, even if they're not obviously the end user of, of the charger. What are you thinking in terms of the um, the costs and the economics I, I, on the like the cost of a charger and um, how the electricity would the electricity be metered and paid for or is that kind of part of the service or how do you picture that the business arrangements? The costs of this are really site dependent. You know, you could have a site that already has an unused outdoor outlet that's rated and able to accept a charger onto it, in which case your you know your installation cost is in the low hundreds of dollars. If you need to add conduit or you need to upgrade a, a, a breaker or something that you know can add costs onto it. I'm talking to a condo property right now. It's like a 15 unit property with just a huge parking lot out in the back and they don't have any sort of common electrical panel. So for them, they're going to have to sort of individually connect the chargers to each unit's private electrical panel. So, you know, each site, it just becomes very difficult to sort of say generically what the cost of this would be. Are there any grid benefits to having these multiple chargers out there? Yeah. If you think about for utility, for from like a portfolio standpoint, if you've got X number of level three chargers, X level of number two chargers, Although utilities are really worried about how all this added EV charging, as well as you know heat pumps and other new technologies, are going to change the sort of the time of day curve of how much electricity is being used and how that affects their ability to sort of service that with renewable sources. Because, for instance, if everybody's charging at night, you can't really use solar power for that unless you have a lot of batteries and storage and stuff. You know, because there isn't really a lot of level, there's level one charging happening in private homes and utilities have in a lot of cases supported that with equipment rebates for people. You know, the notion that a lot of this public charging, particularly in denser cities and places like that could be getting done by level one charging is naturally a sort of has a leveling um, effect on the time of day curve. And there's certainly benefits at scale to this being something that, you know, for instance, utilities could incentivize people that don't drive a lot to use a level one charger versus a level two, because not only are you taking off that sort of spike of, you know, seven kilowatts at a minimum down to 1.4-ish kilowatts with the level one charger, the level one use case is you know, think about for people that work at home, you can actually leave that car charging all through the day. So it, it sort of, it extends out the span of time in which the electricity is being used. And so, you know, that in, in combination with other things, is just another level lever that utilities can pull to sort of smooth the whole transition. Yeah, keep, keep the peak down, right? For the exactly, yeah. And the- yeah, yeah, we're, we're familiar. Our, our, our first uh, electric car and our second, I think, were smart cars. So the, the you know the those little EVs, um, and so we we would actually just charge it at first through an extension cord thrown through the living room window and plugged in the living room wall outlet back in the day. So that you know it it, yeah. it, it charges slow, but it you know it, it worked it worked fine. And it was well, other than the window was open in the winter by you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you're was, using more electricity on your heater or whatever. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think the other thing about it is, that, you know, there's been a bit of a reticence in the industry to like embrace level one charging. But 
you know, with all the new fast charging that's going in with the, the IRA that's being invested, as well as from the car makers themselves, more people are going to have a fast charger within a mile or two of their house or easily accessible on the highway if they're ever going on a road trip than obviously ever before. So the sort of calculus of what happens when I go to grandma's house and I have to take a road trip, you know, it, it changes when you have a lot more access sort of in the one to five mile radius of your house to fast charging. And so I think that then gives people more confidence that they can sort of get by with level one because they know that they have this sort of available fast charging infrastructure near them whenever they need it. Yeah. Or, or, or conversely, if you're like us and you do fast charging, but then you also don't recharge and you run, you run your battery down to um, the, you know, the last 1% on your road trip. It's right. nice to know that there's a, at least a level one charger that's within about a hundred yards because you might really need it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, that's the idea. And I think ultimately, you know, what I would love to see at scale is people being able to access uh, level one, both at home and at work. Cause then that really gives you a good buffer. And it really means that every time you're not using the car, it's charging. And that's, you know, that's really achievable because of the low price point of the chargers. Yeah. And, and, and some enormous number of um, vehicle trips are, you know, just a few miles, right? You're going to the grocery store or, um, you know, that's short, short commutes. And then the, yeah. the idea of using something um, reasonably sized and reasonably priced for that use case makes a ton of sense. It's really interesting. There's some really interesting research that's come out about the average number of miles traveled by EVs versus ICE vehicles, which you can sort of ask the question of, you know, is that because of the demographic? Is it because of people being worried about charging? But it's like on the order of 12,000 miles per year average per vehicle traveled by gas vehicles and about 7,000 traveled by electric vehicles. And if you think about the number 7,000, that equates to about 20 miles per day traveled in EVs. And again, with the level one charger, even if you you know were out all day, 16 hours, and you came back at 10 p.m., plugged in and had to be out the door at 6 a.m. the next morning, you're still going to get 30, 40 or more miles of charge during that time. And, you know, 30 to 40 versus 20 is a bigger number. So, you know, you start to think about what's really the minimum necessary charging capacity that people really need. And, you know, what we see is a lot of the level two chargers, which are the faster ones that'll get you, you know, a full charge overnight. You plug it in and you're fully charged by 11 p.m. And then you're just hogging that charger all night. It's sort of a question of like, how do you align the real parking behaviors of people to their charging behaviors. And in a lot of ways, the level one achieves that pretty well. Yeah, it's exciting to see, like, like when you plug in your supercharger and you see your car, your, your Tesla charging at 500 miles an hour or something like that's like, woo, but it's uh, for most purposes, it's kind of pointless and uh, wasteful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's just not really optimal. You know, the car makers tell you not to charge your vehicle above 80%. Because after 80%, the charging becomes very inefficient and ends up, 
you know, affecting the battery's health. You're not even charging the full battery anyway. And maybe you're running at really low. They also tell you not to run it lower than 20% either. So, you know, a lot of people are, are, their charging sessions are playing in this middle range and they're not trying to go from zero to a hundred. They're going from, you know, 35 to 54. And that's what people are doing on these faster chargers. And it's just, you know, it's great that they're there and that people have access to them, but, you know, at scale, it may not be the most sort of efficient way to, to get cars charged. Anything else that you want to tell the audience, Ross, about the, the, the future, the plans? What are you excited about? Yeah, I am uh, finishing up my prototype right now. Uh, I've got some uh, properties around the Boston area that are interested and always looking for more properties that are uh, looking to put in a charger either in an apartment building, condo, or, you know, a workplace. Really want to get some good feedback from users and, you know, we'll be continuing onward and upward. That sounds great. Looking forward to seeing that prototype. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed. You can find the Energy Nerd Show on social media pretty much everywhere at Energy Nerd Show or on our website at energynerdshow.com.